Why are conservatives so reluctant to talk about culture? If conservatives want to win elections, then they have to lay the groundwork beforehand. They have to promote conservative values and conservative ideas well beforehand. I'm Candace Malcolm, and this is The Candace Malcolm Show. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for your continued support of True North and The Candace Malcolm Show. Now, if you're anything like me, you often feel disappointed at conservative politicians in this country. They constantly let us down. Namely, they often believe that in order to win elections, they have to basically abandon core principles and core values in order to win over the sort of middle of the road, socially moderate Canadian electorate. That's the basic conventional wisdom among conservative strategists, conservative elites. They tell us that if a conservative party, a conservative politician wants to win, they have to either hide their conservatism or completely throw conservatism under the bus and instead promote the sort of latest trendy leftist progressive ideas and values. And so this strategy, this this conventional wisdom is all based on the idea that Canada is a progressive left-wing liberal country that would never elect conservatives. Uh, I believe that's a misconception, but that but regardless that is the basic theory. And so rather than defending tradition, rather than articulating conservative ideas and, and a different conservative vision for the country, what we see is conservative politicians often just try to mirror whatever the liberals are saying and doing, including often just the latest left-wing kooky fads, um, because these conservatives believe that that is the best hope of getting elected. And look, in some ways, you can't really blame conservative politicians for failing to lead us in a more conservative direction, because at the end of the day, a conservative's job is to get elected. And so too many are willing to just say and do anything that they need to in order to win. So if we want to see more conservative politicians in this country, we want to see more conservatives promoting true conservative values and ideas, it's not just up to the politicians um, to lead us down that path. We need to have help from other people in society. We need more people to defend conservative values. We need activists and leaders from the rest of society, from civil society, to step up and help pave that path. We need more voices articulating a conservative vision for Canada, more thinkers and leaders defending conservative values, promoting and defending our history, our tradition, our way of life, as well as the basic ideas like human dignity, liberty, and having a robust civil society that's capable of solving some of the tough problems we encounter without always having to rely on the heavy hand of government. So today I want to focus on an organization that does just that. It's called CARDIS, and I really encourage you to check them out and to support the great work that they do. So it was originally founded all the way back in 1974, but that back then it was called the Work Research Foundation, and it worked alongside and in support of the Christian Labor Association of Canada. It was originally just there to sort of help out the uh, Christian Labor Association with conferences and writing and those kind of things. And then CARDIS, as a think tank, came into existence in the fall of 2000 with Michael Van Pelt as its first president and the first full-time employee, and Ray Pennings, who is joining me on the program today, he secured the initial grant and was sort of the mastermind of this project. So the two of them together founded CARDIS. CARDIS focuses on human dignity, strong families, religious freedom, formative education, and healthy communities. Those all sound like wonderful things that I would like to hear more of from politicians. And I think that the way to do that is to have more people in society uh, talking about these ideas, aware of the impact that they have and, and how much we need uh, these sort of secondary institutions, not just relying on government for everything, uh, but again, relying on civil society, relying on communities, relying on strong families. And I, I just want to read one bit 
from my friends over at The Hub. They did a spotlight on Cardis, celebrating 20 years since Cardis uh, was formed. And, and they wrote this, and I, I think this is completely spot on, and I think it's so important. And this is part of the reason why I want to talk about this today. But they say this. So while modern conservatives are comfortable pointing out all of the different ways that government is the problem or is not the solution to the problem, they're less comfortable actually explaining what the solution is. So for Cardis, the answer is found in culture, religion, and civil society, which means we need to build a road that connects these things to politics and policymaking. I think that's right. I think that's absolutely brilliant. And I'm so pleased today to be joined by Ray Pennings, the co-founder of Cardis, to just sort of delve into some of these ideas a little more. So, Ray, thank you so much for joining us, and congratulations on 20 years of CARDIS. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's a privilege. Great. Yeah. Well, so to, to, to any of the audience out there who's not familiar with CARDIS, why don't you give us a little bit of overview on what it is that you do day to day and what you focus on? Well, CARDIS is a think tank. So we, you know, in terms of our day to day work, it's not dissimilar from other think tanks. Um, there are, we, we actually call ourselves a think tank plus, and we do so for a couple of reasons. Think tanks usually are focused for, on the political and policy sphere. And uh, the core premise of our existence is that while government and the state and politics is part of, it is not the entirety of public life. And in that sense, we want, we pay a lot of attention to the other institutions of society, be that the family, the community organization, the business organization, the church. Our, our premise, in, in that sense, we're probably more Burkean conservatives talking about the little platoons and how they contribute. And our argument is that many of the problems of public life that um, people are looking to government to solve are in fact better solved through other institutions. And so we, uh, we're a think tank, but that serves not just the pol political, but the entire broad sphere of civil society and public life. That's great. It seems like so many think tanks on the conservative side or the classical liberal side in Canada focus squarely on economics and sort of conventional thinking that uh, you know, the conservative movement in Canada, it's a big tent. There's lots of different types of conservatives. There's libertarians, people that are more traditional or social conservative. Uh, but, but, but there's sort of conventional wisdom, Ray, that, that, that the, the winning ideas are the fiscal ideas, the economic ideas, and that it's when the cultural issues and the social issues kind of come up during elections that it's bad for conservatives and therefore we should just sort of push these ideas aside, ignore them, um, kind of come to the consensus of the left-wing liberal uh, establishment in the country, uh, whereas it seems like Cardis is, is taking the complete opposite approach. And so I, I want you to maybe to tell me a little bit about how it is that these cultural issues um, can unite conservatives just as much as economic issues. Well, let me answer that in two ways. First, pragmatically, and then, and then more fundamentally, philosophically. Pragmatically, um, you know, Stephen Harper in 2003, De Civitas, uh, argued on the importance of um, social conservatism alongside and social and cultural conservatism alongside economic conservatism. Um, his approach, I, uh, the day after he was elected in 2006, I, I wrote a piece that was published in Policy Options, which highlighted that his was a coalition that required all of them. I identified six different branches of conservatism. And in many ways, I think the secret to the decade, Harper decade in office was the fact that they recognized this was a coalition of interests and, and incrementally built along that, um, along that way. 
I would argue that when conservatives have focused only on economic issues, they typically have lost. Um, I actually don't think that is a formula for success in today's Canada, um, which steps back to more fundamentally. And, and, and I think the argument is it's because who we are is fundamental as human beings. Uh, we are not just um, consumers. We are not just people who are focused entirely on making money. And there are a lot of people who have a lot of money who aren't all that satisfied and happy in life. Um, we are created, and this is, you know, obviously there's, there's a fundamental anthropology that is contested along the way, but Cardis would come from the perspective that we are created as image bearers of God, imago dei, that gives us dignity, that gives us worth, that also makes us social beings. And we find flourishing and happiness and satisfaction when we're in relationship with others, uh, whether that relationship is in the family, whether that's in the community, um, enterprise being a, a shared social relationship. I think, you know, any, you can go to Harvard Business Review, go to any successful entrepreneur, and uh, they'll tell you that if you only focus on making money and not any other values, you rarely will continue to make money. Um, you know, in, in many ways, profit is like breathing. It's essential in a market economy. But when I wake up in the morning and think about the fact that I need to breathe, it's probably a sign of sickness, not health. Right. Well, and I, I mean, there's there's certainly seems like there's a, been a crisis of, of meaning and purpose in our society that so many young people don't really see. They don't have the same motivation or, or they don't really know their role because our social roles are changing so much. And this is particularly the case uh, for young men. And I think that the meteoric rise of Jordan Peterson um, speaks volumes to the fact that he was saying something that was sort of different than the traditional conservative message. But unfortunately, it doesn't seem like our political class has really um, joined onto that because, I, I mean, we're, we're seeing a little bit of a crisis in the federal Conservative Party of Canada where, uh, you know, Aaron O'Toole, the leader, so, so, sort of took the party more to the center, more to the what, what we would describe as like a liberal light, and didn't really defend conservative ideas and values. And we're seeing it across the country that, you know, before it was, like, you know, let's stay away from these divisive social issues because they they drag us down and, you know, maybe people perceive that Andrew Scheer being a social conservative and a Catholic hurt his ability to, to win that election. Uh, but now, you know, the cultural issues that we're talking about are, are a little bit more basic to the country like is Canada a horrible genocidal country did did are we founded on all of these terrible institutions that need to be demolished or is there something there and again I don't really see very many conservative politicians really coming out and defending Canada against some of the worst accusations um, against us so I'm kind, of, I'm kind of wondering what, um, what, what what's Cardis's position and how, how do you think we can influence more uh, of that kind of leadership to talk about meaning some of the things that you were talking about, human dignity uh, from our political class? I, in many ways, Cardis started um, in 2000 um, out of a sense that the political institutions were failing us and that the ideas that were needed were very unlikely to come from within and therefore they needed to come from outside of the political institutions. Um, I say that as a, as a former candidate for the Canadian Alliance, um, having been involved um, extensively in, in political campaigns. The argument, I, I, I think when we take a look, and, and let me be very clear, my criticism would be as much on social conservatives in terms of how they have engaged the political sphere, and I would say typically not very wisely, 
Um, so they haven't done themselves a whole lot of favors in terms of making making the argument for their cause. I don't think you're going to win by um, by cherry picking hot button issues and somehow polarizing an us versus them culture wedge in society. I think instead, um, you know, I, I I think some of the the immigration, uh, you know, we look at what Jason Kenney did when he was, who was um, involved in the outreach for the conservatives. Many immigrants to this country share values in terms of family, in terms of community, um, and a sense of identity. Um, they, they tend to be entrepreneurial and pro-market, but there's a whole lot more to uh, to what they understand and expect out of the public square and the shapes they're voting. I um, I recall speaking to Civitas in 2003 on why um, collective bargaining is fundamentally a conservative idea. Um, I had the predictable line of people at the mic uh, ready to challenge in terms of my defense of unionism along the way. Now, my defense is not a defense of mainstream contemporary unionism, to be sure. But I would argue that collective bargaining is not only economically feasible, it recognizes the fact that a workplace is a community and there are a diversity of interests and that when labor and management can work together in terms of building the uh, a larger pie, there are all sorts of things um, positive that can happen. And there are models around the world quite different than the adversarial North American model in which um, collective bargaining should be seen as a positive. You know, I, I, I look at some areas in Europe where you know, the EI system, for instance, doesn't belong to government. It belongs to industry associations and unions together. Um, I've often, you know, we've had our trouble with our EI in terms of the differences between seasonal work and cyclical work in, in um, Eastern Canada and having those rules apply to a manufacturing base in, um, in Southwestern Ontario and, and a recognition that does, doesn't work. There are some structural things that flow up. This isn't just about hot button moral issues. This is about a way of organizing life, a way in terms of what is my obligation to those, to my coworker, to my employer, to my neighbor. Um, and fundamentally, it, it all roots back to the fact that as a human being, I am I'm, I, I have a dignity and a worth and I'm a social being and flourishing is going to come in um, as I live with and alongside others. No, that's great. There's definitely been a political sort of realignment. And I, I think that some of some of the things that conservatives today are, are realizing is that, you know, they have a lot of allies with traditional blue collar um, union voters that might have, you know, used to vote for a party like the NDP. But with all of the identity politics and the sort of left wing fad issues that the left wing parties are consumed with, they've sort of ignored um, and, and neglected this this big part of uh, of their base that that this sort of could could very much fall in line with with conservatives in terms of some of the values that you're discussing. And I think I think to some extent there has been an overreach on the part of the progressive left in which you know they are more proselytizing than any anybody on the right uh, that that I see. And there is a sense of a forced identity that a lot of people you know it, it's not politically correct to say all of these things, but a lot of people say, wait a minute, that's not me. Um, that's that's not what that's not how we live our day-to-day -day life, and that's increasing the disconnect between public life and family life. And I think within the cracks um, that are there, the light is shining in, and they're in. I, I'm reasonably optimistic in terms of what the future might look like. 
Well, that's great. One of the things you, you mentioned uh, when you're talking about community is sort of the obligation that we have uh, to one another. All the political parties uh, talk a lot about uh, your rights, your, your freedoms, your liberties. Um, with regards to uh, COVID, we did start to hear more about you know the obligation that you have to others and this idea that you might sacrifice yourself uh, for the betterment of society. But that's not something that we are used to hearing uh, from our politicians. So uh, maybe you could tell me a little bit about what you think um, the duty of a Canadian is or ought to be and how, how uh, you know, we can talk more about not just, you know, what you can get from the government that you, the country that you live in and the government, uh, but what is your obligation as a Canadian uh, to provide to society? Well, I think, you know, ulti ultimately it is about the stewardship of gifts. Um, we all have equal dignity and equal rights as citizens along the way. Um, but this notion this notion of sameness, sometimes we, 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 we transform equality and equity into sameness. And um, yet we intuitively know from, you know, being two or three years old on, um, you know, in kindergarten grade one, I realized I wasn't the same as some other people in the class. Some of them could run faster and, you know, were more athletic and smarter and all of the other things. Um, there is a sense in which difference itself is 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 not a bad thing. It, it it can be celebrated, but when we view our gifts not just in service of an autonomous self, um, in terms of how can I win and how can I get, but have a sense of the common good, have a sense that a rising tide lifts all boats. Um, you know, when we work together, and any business recognizes that. Um, I have yet to meet the entrepreneur who's been successful in the long run, who says, I've done it all. The most successful entrepreneurs say, I took risks. And then I found people who had particular gifts and talents that I didn't have. And together we accomplished it X, Y, Z. Um, there is a sense in which we just know that is how we are created. That's how the world is made. Uh, we don't live on islands all by ourselves. That's not the ordinary way of life. And I think having a rich sense of a shared flourishing, a shared common good, um, ultimately makes us happier as individuals than simply saying, I'm going to pursue my own happiness and I don't care who I have to tromp on in the process. Um, because most of us discover the fact that tromping on other people doesn't feel very good either. Right. Well, and, and I think some people have a misconceived idea of what happiness means. They, they, they think that happiness is just, you know, the, the joy that you might feel, the freedom of a day, and they don't recognize that. Uh, you know, happiness is built over time with, with, with comes in hand with uh, more responsibility, with service to others, um, with the sort of, you know, building families and communities and these kind of things that we don't, we don't often hear uh, much uh, people talking about, you know, especially for my generation, that the sort of emphasis was really, you know, you go to school, you get an education, you get a good job. And that's, and that's the pathway. That's, that's the focus. And, and, you know, family is almost like, a distraction from that and, and I feel like there's so many people uh, who, who miss the opportunity or forgo the opportunity to have family and have kids because they're so focused on a career so focused on the economic side uh, that they're really missing out on something much deeper in 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 life and one of the things I've noticed Ray is that the generation younger than me so young Canadians I noticed this in a poll that you did um, they, they might be more inclined uh, to, to to have a more traditional view um, of, of things like 
whether there should be religion in public life and, and the importance of family and marriage. Um, can, can you tell me a little bit about the, the, the poll that you've had and maybe how this could help conservative politicians, because conservatives have a tough time appealing to young people in general, so maybe how these new uh, shifting values uh, could, could help conservative fortunes. Yeah, we, uh, and you know, Cardiff right from the beginning has, we, we've defined our roots explicitly. Um, we are rooted in 2000 years of Christian social thought. Um, that said, within our, our staff, and that we have the entire range, Catholic, Protestant, um, there's no one denomination, nor are we churchy or narrow in that regard. But in, in light of the fact of, you know, what are the roots of happiness? What is the purpose of life? There are some fundamental questions on which we recognize Canadians differ. We live in a pluralistic society, but we think it's valuable to put our stake in the ground to say, here is where we're coming from. And I think that has lots of implications. Um, you know, they're, they're, the poll that you referenced, uh, we, we polled uh, over 4,000 Canadians, half over the age of 40, half over under the age of 40. What is interesting is in terms of the role of faith in public life, um, by, by approximately 10% younger Canadians are much more open to uh, being authentic, um, including those that they differ with. Uh, but saying it's better to, instead of privatizing these conversations, it's better to have them in the public square. Um, it may come as a surprise to most, but statistically speaking, the most likely to have read a sacred text or to have gone to a place of worship in the last 30 days is someone under the age of 30 on a per capita basis. Um, so younger people and immigrants are the are the areas in which there is the most connection to faith and faith communities in this country. Um, and I think that for, you know, indicates a path forward. I would highlight the fact that among those groups also are the most who are, would say they're agnostic or don't have anything to do with faith. What they value is an authenticity, authenticity and not the fact of, you know, we've been measuring since 2017 and we have four categories. You have the the very religious and the very non-religious. The very religious category has helped firm about one in five Canadians, um, you know, and that includes all faiths, uh, you know, are very regular and we use seven measures to, to do that. Um, what has happened in the, in the years that we've been studying it is there has been a shift from the middle to the non-religious side in which the person who would have checked the box and said, you know, I'm, I'm a Catholic or I'm an Anglican or I'm a Presbyterian or Baptist, whatever, gone to church perhaps once or twice a year or not at all, but had been baptized. But it really was not a meaningful part of their lives. Those are the people who are becoming increasingly hostile to religion. Um, however, younger Canadians, those who were not raised in traditional faith, immigrant Canadians, um, there is a growing sense of a recognition of the importance of faith and faith institutions. And I would highlight, um, you know, go down University Avenue in Toronto and take a look at the names of the various hospitals and recognize the fact that, you know, our healthcare system even today relies on religious communities who are raising significant monies for the, you know, the Jewish community for the MRI machines at Mount Zion and, you know, the Catholic communities. Health, education, social services, a vast a proportion of that even today is being delivered by faith communities um, in our country as part of our, as part of the system of delivery. And, um, you know, it's a story that by and large has been forgotten, but it is and remains part of the public square. And if all of that were to disappear tomorrow, 
Canada would not be at all the place that most of us is taking for granted. Absolutely. I think that's right. I think that uh, for, for myself as well, I wasn't particularly raised in a religious family. I'd go to church once or twice a year, but I found that when I w was older on my own, I, I sort of, again, the same thing that you feel like there's something deeper here and, and maybe it's, it's wise to turn to some of the traditions and ideas of the past that got us here instead of just throwing them out and saying, you know, we're, we're too enlightened for this now. It's like there's wisdom in, in the past. And I, I know a lot, many of my peers uh, feel similarly to that. Well, I will end the uh, interview on that note, a little bit of optimism that younger Canadians are, are seeing the value uh, of tradition. Ray Pennings, thank you so much for, for joining us and keep up the good work over there at Cardis. Thank you so much, Candice. All right. Thank you so much for watching. I'm Candice Malcolm, and this is The Candice Malcolm Show.